Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ culture and the church. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Aaron, and I'm joined here in the Where We Land studio today with my co-host, Mr. Stephen Vaughn. Hello, everyone. And Laura Vaughn. Hey, guys. Hey, welcome again to Where We Land. And uh, just to clarify, we did give your last names, but Laura is Stephen's sister-in-law. Not his wife. All right. Correct. Correct. So very, just in case you had a question to I'm married to Stephen's <laughs> oldest brother. Did you know that you were getting Stephen in that equation too? Like I when did. all this happened, I mean, how how much did you guys like know each other before well, you married? Actually, really well. See, our families are family. Like our families are old friends. So yeah, yeah we used to go on family vacations Laura together. And pretty, and stuff. We, we actually have always been fairly tight. Yeah. Actually, that's never. So I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast. How yeah. did that happen? Like, did did, did you, were you a part of setting your brother up? Like, I mean, how did this? Not necessarily. How I did like you to take credit for it, but <laughs> there are a lot of people that take credit for it, Aaron. Oh, there's there are? a lot. Okay, yeah. so just get, lot. get in line. Yeah, but, get in line. <laughs> my brother was a little slow on the he draw. He was the very last one to know. So, like, to know that you guys were even dating, oh, to know that we were ever going to date. Okay. He was the very last one. We were all, we were all just waiting for him. But Our family knew it. I knew it. Oh, Our you were just waiting for him to yeah. vacations before you all got together, like. How many? Yeah, like one or two Several before you all families, got to vacation. So, like two, maybe two or three. I think it was one or two before you got to actually together. I get, yeah, probably. Because like, and then I was he like, proposed on you one need of to those go family. Ahead and like, yeah. and he's just like, no, 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 and we're like, what are we waiting for here? Like, you're you're blind, <laughs> and so he finally got like the idea, and then yeah, he did propose on vacation. Yeah, so the family not with us there. No, thank heavens. No. <laughs> but um, yeah, so family vacation is a big part of our story. Wow, that yeah. is yeah, very interesting. So speaking of like family stuff, what are you guys gonna do over like uh, Halloween coming up? Do you guys are you guys the trick or treater people? I mean, or uh, are, are you the trunk or treater people? You know, like I feel like there's a difference are, between the trick or treaters and the trunk or treaters. We are trick or treaters. Yeah, we okay, go through good. the neighborhoods. So. We did that growing up all the time as a kid, and it was the highlight. Like for us, we lived on a dead end street, so everybody knew everybody. And I only went to eleven houses, but let me tell you, those eleven houses like brought yeah, the out the hall. candy, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, are the boys? What, do the boys know what they want to dress up as yet this year? Yes, but I'm not going to tell because you <laughs> can't know. let it out of the bag. Yeah, can't see, let it I, out see, by the time this records, oh, right. it's going to be It'll out. Be out. So, okay, so they're going yeah. to be stickmen. Oh, that's legit. So they are going to be in black, and I have bought glow-in-the-dark tape. And so you draw the outline of a stick man on your black clothes, and you wear a mask with, like, the face on it, and then you glow in the dark. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yep, that's, that's what we're awesome. going with. So are you all going to go trick-or-treating in the dark? Yeah, we're going to okay, wait till it gets say. darker. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be so cool. My, that's going to be so cool. My only trick-or-treating experience, I, I grew up in a trunk or treat family go to trunk or uh, yeah <laughs> halloween was sinful and the family that i grew up in um, we didn't do halloween either but i have one experience from when i was in high school i think it was like one of those delayed childhood scenarios you know and so like um i went trick-or-treating with my best friend and we were like sophomores in high school and he dressed up as a um pirate king and i dressed up as a um a catholic monk a Spanish Catholic. Is there monk. pictures from this? There is, and we both had robes on, and we went around the ta- the the uh, the neighborhood he lived in singing. Who was this? Me and Josh. I knew it. And we went around the neighborhood. Knew it was you, Josh. We sang to every house, and we had to come back four times to empty our candy hall because people loved us so much. 
Wow. So, I was so are, you bringing, it back? are my... you bringing it back this year for church trunk or treat? I'm probably not. I, like, I had a full-on monk robe and like a sombrero with like a Catholic cross hanging around my neck. Okay. And then so I had Jordans. you made up for your childhood with that Halloween. <laughs> you just uh, did yes. it all in one. All in we one made it up <laughs> for like a uh, hundred Halloweens. Yeah. Uh, what about you guys, Aaron? I, we are pumped, man. We're Jurassic Park this year. And uh, Jessica's in a... Not Wait. Jessica. Ashlyn's in a little... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's actually <laughs> Jessica's dressing up as yes. a dinosaur. I try, no joke, guys. I tried to get Jessica in one of those large T Rex costumes. She wouldn't do it. Like, I, how hard did you try? I tried really hard because I was like, "You gonna be?" Oh, I'm the park ranger, of course. Okay, and I, we built like this. Um, it's a uh, like a wagon, like my farm wagon for the back of my mower, and I built like a gate around it with like a like it, it looks you like are, a cage. You and are Ashlyn, all in. Ashlyn is in the wagon, and she's a. Uh, Triceratops. So it is awesome. <laughs> it's like legit. Can we and, uh, pay Jessica thing? enough to dress up as a uh, T-Rex? If you can get it to happen. I, I, I was like, we babe, need to try and need convince to be this. the T-Rex. But she didn't want to do is it. Is your thing this and, Wednesday? Uh, yes, yeah, this right? coming okay, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I need to come. <laughs> and, uh, we have to convince her. <laughs> but I'm just like, it's going to be so cool because, uh, I don't know, Ashlyn just loves. The funny thing about Ashlyn is she's learning to say things. So we've been teaching her over the last month. We're like, what does a dinosaur say? She's like, rawr. <laughs> and so you guys are super invested. It's, it's, yeah, we've committed, man. We've committed to this. So, but uh, enough about enough about Halloween today. Um, hey, we're uh, talking about. We didn't even tell you what we're talking about today. We're talking about um, peacemaking today, and it's actually kind of fitting, picking up from where we were just talking about on our last podcast together. Uh, we were talking about being hurt by the church, and I think maybe a, a natural. Um, outflow of that talking about something would be what is biblical peacemaking and i think last time uh we were together i gave a book that i i'll, I'll go ahead and give here um you know i, I kind of joke with laura but i was like second to the bible like this book uh has been really a, a really solid work on forgiveness and peacemaking it's called the peacemaker by ken sandy i don't know if you've ever read that but if you haven't you should definitely add it to your list of recommended readings um, but I think maybe maybe a helpful way to kind of start our discussion today is just like the question of this, like, what is the difference between peacekeeping and actual peacemaking? Very, very large. <laughs> peacekeeping is going to whatever lengths to make the current situation as peaceful as possible peacemaking is the actual act of making peace when there is problems. Um, and so I liken it to peacekeeping is covering up the problems. Peacemaking is digging up the problems and dealing with them. I am naturally the queen of peacekeeping, which peacekeeping. is not a biblical virtue, but it is, not, you know, I'm going to try to avoid disturbance. Okay. We're going to try to ignore the things that are causing everyone to have all the feelings. That's my natural default. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to quote Ken Sandy's book because I think he okay, says guys, this really guys, he's well. really serious about this book. He, he walked in here and handed it to me and told me I could have it and that I needed to read it. It's so. easily a top three read for me it in my life. It is a top 10 in my Christian book recommendations that I give away. Easily. So it is definitely in the top 10. Anyway, what does he say? So he says... Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ, and they bring his love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. 
So I think when he's, you know, what he's really getting at is uh, peacemakers are those who breathe grace. And, um, you know, we, we kind of were following up on our last episode. If you've not listened to it, you may want to go back and uh, listen to episode 57 on being hurt by the church. But um, he, he in his book, in on page 22, uh, he has a graph. It's called the slippery slope. And um, the, what is what kind of shape is that? Because this is a half moon, isn't it? But it's called something. I a crescent. Hate, I hate isn't that a visual aids like that. You hate them? I hate them. So you're gonna have to try wow. to explain it to me. I never understand See, them. You don't understand no. them. Okay. So what he does is he kind of talks about the slip, slippery slope of conflict, and think about it like kind of a half moon, and on either sides of this curve are um, two responses. There's the escape responses, which are. At the very furthest side of the equation is suicide. And then up from that would be flight. And up from that would be denial. And then on the complete up opposite side of the, of the slippery slope is the attack responses, which on the very far side, he has murder and then go up from there and litigation and then up from there assault. So I, I think, and then he has in the very middle, he calls peacemaking responses and he has kind of a whole continuation of these like, on the far left side, it's overlooking something. Where on the right side, it's uh, accountability. So, I, what what I think is helpful is that when people are hurt, uh, people's natural inclination is probably one side or the other in terms of being an aggressor or being. Um, kind of the escape. So you have already just said like your natural tendency is kind of the flight. Yeah. Peacemaking. You would be a pe- peacekeeping. Peacekeeping would be on the yeah. escape on the escape side of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Whereas the other side of it is like the aggression of just like which I don't think there's a lot of those people in the world but there seems to be some aggression people towards Peace uh, hating. They hate peace. Yeah, I mean, I oh, just like fight, they're just you know? con- like, oh, people that like conflict. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. They right. Just, but they like conflict for the sake of conflict. Right. That's the other side. Right. Yeah. Neither right. of those are good and healthy. No, no. Those are extremes. <laughs> yeah, and so his whole book on the peacemaker is really walking through people. What does it look like to apply grace in everyday relationships and not go to one of those two extremes, right? So when we think about the Bible, Jesus has a lot to say about being a peacemaker. Uh, he says in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is describing the life in his kingdom, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What other uh, verses come to your mind as you're thinking about biblical peacemaking? So there's a verse in James, actually, James chapter three, verse 18. Um, and it ta- it says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Literally, the idea is that peacemaking breeds a environment where righteousness is produced. Mm. And I think that that is just like an insane thought to have. Like righteousness grows best in an environment of peacemaking. So that goes then with, okay, so what verse was that though? James, James what? 3 verse James, 18. Okay. So this is Hebrews twelve fourteen. pursue peace with everyone and holiness without it. No one will see the Lord. So you see those two things coming together again. Wow. They're connected throughout scripture. Holiness and righteousness and peacemaking are connected in scripture. Mm. So can we think about like, so here's one I'd like us to turn to is actually in a, in a Philippians chapter four. I think you get some real clarity in Ephesians 4 on how to kind of handle explosive disagreements, right? I mean, out of all the passages that we can see 
of people making peace with one another. I actually think it's what Paul writes to the church in Philippians 4, where he says in uh, verse 1, he says, Therefore, brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Right. So he's writing to this church. He's reminding them of who they are in Christ. And then there's this conflict that's happening in the church there in Philippi. Paul says in verse 2, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, I mean, Paul's affirming that both of these women profess to know Christ. He's, he's actually even saying like their names are written in the book of life. And yet he's asking this church in Philippi to intervene. You see what he says there? He says, I ask you, true companion, help these women. I mean, he's Paul's asking for a peacemaker. He's asking mm-hmm. for somebody to step in and to help mitigate this situation. And because both of these women were partners in ministry with the Apostle Paul, and yet they were coming to the table on completely opposite side. They couldn't resolve their concerns. And so Paul is actually asking that a third party uh, this true companion would be brought in to help uh, mitigate some of that uh, peacemaking resolution. So what is the steps that he gives there? I mean, I think he he outlines some some things in this passage, you know, um, what, what 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 stands out to you from this passage of these of these two ladies in the midst of their conflict? Well, what stands out to me is that the church should be a primary contributor in the peacemaking process. Um, and so like, yes, um, the individuals must work it out amongst themselves ultimately, but a church should at least encourage that and take the steps to provide an environment where that is encouraged and helped. Mm -hmm. Because the church ought to be a place that handles conflict different than the rest of the world. Right. It should be right. right. (laughs) (laughs) But like we talked in our last episode, sometimes it's not, but it should be, it should be the bastion, the example to all the world of how to bastion. What is that? Like, um, like I would say like a lifted up example, a lifted up example. I've never heard of that word. I learned a new word today. Yeah. But it should be like a lifted up example to the world. Mm -hmm. It is. It is a real word. I know it is, but I've never like, yeah. Bastion of truth. Yeah. Bastion of truth. Lifted up example, I believe. Bastion. Bastion. Learn something new every day. I don't ask me how to spell it. But (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so the the church should be that though, right? I mean, they should be the example of resolving conflict in a God-honoring way. And that's what I think I so appreciate about Ken Sandy's book is because that's where he begins. You know, oftentimes when people think about peacemaking, they, they... practically just want to deal with the problem and bring about a resolution, but he roots everything in the glory of God. And he says, well, but how are we, um, you know, in, in terms of restoring people or mitigating, you know, bringing resolution to some of those things, how, how, um, how does that happen in a God honoring way? Um, and I think you see what Paul's saying here, right? Like these two women that, um, they're to be brought together in this reconciliation, uh, which involves, you know, forgiveness. And, um, I, I, what I, what I'm encouraged by is that Paul actually had hope. He he seems compassionate too. He's not, he's like, we, this can, this can be worked out. Let's do this together. He, he's not like lost hope with them. He's not written them off. He still validates their place in the kingdom and the work that they've done. You know, he, he doesn't act like it's just this 
thing that randomly, like an isolated incident. He's just giving them, you know, here, let's work together. You help them. Somebody help them. They mm-hmm. need help. Yeah. And he says there at the end, he says, whose names are in the book of life. So I like what Paul's doing is he's driving our eyes to look beyond the instance and remember, like, where is all this headed? And the reality is if if people are truly born again, you know, they're, they're really been born again and have been saved that that one day i mean they're going to be together in all eternity so i mean why can't you work things out right now i think that's what paul's you know really driving at so um so let me guys ask you this because you know paul kind of is calling on somebody to be a mediator here what are the differences then between somebody who is like stepping in to mediate and a peacemaker i mean are those things similar or are they different well, Sandy would argue that a part of peacemaking at times requires a mediator. So I think a mediator is something that is helpful in peacemaking. But um, a mediator typically, uh, by definition of what a mediator is, is a third party to peacemaking. Um, because peacemaking happens between an offendee and an offender. Mm-hmm. And a mediator is one who steps in to assist in that process of peacemaking. I think a mediator helps keep things on track too. Yes. Not getting in the weeds in your discussion, but like keeping the main thing, the main thing. Well, that and there, Sandy also brings out in some of his book that um, a mediator is very helpful sometimes as a witness to, Mm -hmm. so to record what is said. And then also as somebody to re-speak the things that are said to help the other person understand. And so it's that idea of like um, people always hear what they want to hear, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if you're in a really charged, tense situation, they're going to hear what they want to hear. And so a mediator is somebody who's able to come in and they're able to take the what's said and re-communicate it to where the other person's like, oh, you were saying that. You weren't telling me that I'm annoying. You were just saying that what I'm doing is annoying. Okay, I get it now, you know? And so a mediator is super helpful in peacemaking, but I would say that there's a difference between a peacemaker and a mediator. Yeah, I would too. And I think uh, the place I see that is in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, We referenced that passage last week uh, on the podcast. And um, in Matthew 18, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers of how they are to respond if your brother sins against you. And and notice what Jesus says in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And I mean, I, that's the same language, right? That Paul's using of these two women there in the book of Philippians. I mean, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul's like, what do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain because this is a fellow brother and sister in Christ. And he says, but notice in verse 16, like that, that, that uh, what Jesus, I think, in Matthew 18 is, is assuming is that forgiveness has already happened. Like you've released that. Now you're taking steps to restore your relationship. And in verse 16, if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, I think this is what um, we would probably refer to as a mediator. Uh, because as Christians, our lives should be one of being peacemakers. I mean, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers in Matthew five. So who are these witnesses that are brought in 
Well, notice what Jesus says. He says two or three others that every charge may establish by the evidence are two or three witnesses. And I, when, when I've studied this passage out, what I really believe Jesus is saying there is that these are people that have witnessed the same behavior or are seeing evidence of the same thing. It's not, um, you know, sadly, the way our world deals with conflict is like, well, we try to go to them and if they don't want to hear us, well, I'm going to bring my boys. I'm going to bring somebody that, you know, right. I mean, yeah. we were just like, let's, let's go gang up on them, you know? Well, that's not biblical peacemaking. Like, that's not biblical peacemaking at all. Jesus is saying, hey, there should be two or three other people that if this is truly a sinful behavior, you know, that's been evidenced against a person, like, there should be evidence of that. And these two or three people, I think, should be uh, at least somewhat neutral in the situation, at, at least to the extent that they're able to recognize whether or not. Um, they've, you know, they've been witnesses of those same things as well. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, Aaron. So I completely agree with that. I think you nailed that, um, really well and how you defined and what you said about that. So then my question is then, um, how can we make that personal? So we've discussed kind of the idea of a peacemaker and a mediator and kind of work through that. But then how do I act as a peacemaker in my own conflict? Like where does the rubber meet the road then? I believe Jesus calls his followers to be peacemakers. And so in that, um, it's the responsibility of every one of us. It's, uh, you know, the Bible would would talk about whether you've been wronged or you've wronged somebody else. It's always your turn. You're the one to to go to to aim to restore that relationship. And I think in the midst of that, we need to remember what the New Testament is talking about, and that is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, I think Sandy in his book, he he brings up on page 51, he says, Satan prefers that we do not recognize his role in our conflicts. As long as we see other people as our only adversaries and focus our attacks on them, we will have no thought to guarding against our our most dangerous enemy. Both James and Peter were aware of this danger, and they warn us to actively resist Satan's schemes. So I I think it's just a reminder that like in the midst of whatever conflict is happening, that um, ultimately, like the, 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 our, 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 our wrestle, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And I think Paul's hitting that here in, in Philippians about these two ladies, like they're to remember, like they're, they're believers in Christ Jesus. And they're ultimately on the same team. They're going for the same goal. Like um, what, what, whatever, whatever's causing that friction, whatever's causing that conflict, like, certainly for the sake of the gospel, there's a way to, to, to restore that and to find uh, unity in that. And I think maybe this is what we need to clarify here because I think forgiveness is always possible. Reconciliation is not, mm-hmm. um, sometimes. And I think this is where I love, I just keep, you know, talking about this book, but I, I really do love this book a lot. And I think what he really talks about is that, you know, who, forgiveness is every person's decision. Like that's what every person has the responsibility to do. But reconciliation literally requires both parties being willing to forgive and be forgiven. And I think the illustration in his book is he talks about kind of a, I don't know if it's a river or a, or a gap or something. He says, but when, 
when there's when there's a conflict in a relationship that causes a rift between two parties, two groups. And, um, you know, he walks through what, what does that look like? Well, every one of us always, 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 always have a responsibility to forgive. But reconciliation happens when both parties are willing to come together in that forgiveness and forgiving one another and together step over whatever offense was there. And he's like, if one party or the other is unwilling to take a step forward in the relationship to move past that, then reconciliation will never be possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Paul says in Romans 12, if possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. And right. it, but he's alluding to the fact that it's not always possible. Like sometimes the other party's not willing to do that. Right, right. Or may not even recognize their need to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, that, that's a good verse because Paul brings back the responsibility to every person and saying, hey, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But but that's not always possible if other men don't want to live peaceably with you. Right. That's very true. Right. And, and sometimes it's not. However, I would also caution and say that many times our idea of us attempting to live peaceably with all men at least in my own life, doesn't always match up to scripture's uh, level of seeking to live peaceably with all men. What I mean by that is we think, oh, well, you know, I sent him a letter after trying to reconcile things and it's done. Well, no, like the Bible outlines actually very clear commands of how we can reconcile situations such as going to them, taking another person with us. And Sandy even dives into that in his last couple chapters of like, hey, you won't always be able to make reconciliation with everyone. However, here's every possible way that you could at least attempt it, hopefully. And he like walks through a very like long list of it. And so I think sometimes we always get to this point where we're like, well, I tried, you know, but I would encourage each one of us to think truly, did we truly try? And is it truly at a point where we have to let go of it? Cause there is that point and uh, we have to be willing to sometimes let that go. But sometimes I think too, there are things that could be done that sometimes we sweep under the rug, maybe because they're too hard or annoying that we don't do. Um, to seek reconciliation. I think one of the greatest hurdles to reconciliation is the fact that everybody's personality is different and people respond to conflict in different ways. I mean, it's not even like a human thing. Like it's in the animal kingdom, right? Like the flight or flight responses. (laughs) I mean, all animals are different, you know, like when a possum's challenged, he just plays dead, you know, or a, (laughs) or a wild hog, he charges, you know? And so it's like, it's interesting to me that not only in the animal kingdom, but in in like humanity, like people are the same way. And, and Sandy brings that out in this book that, uh, that, you know, people respond in different ways. And I think that's, that oftentimes is half the battle is realizing what is my natural response and what is my tendency in moments of, you know, conflict, because we have to really understand ourselves so that we're able to understand also how to how to reach out to that i mean if we don't recognize that we're the type of person that is always challenging things or if or if we're trying to always pull away um you know because if we're honest i think that natural inclination and i think he shows this in the book is like most of society tends to withdraw in moments of conflict right um rather than take the form of aggression um what are you laughing in the form of aggression. I'm going to always think of the hog and the possum now. <laughs> <laughs> That's every time I have a conflict, I'd be like, like am I the possum? possum? 
Or am I the hog? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, you don't want to be either, though. No, no. <laughs> but, you know, the Bible talks about in Proverbs 19, verse 11, a man's wisdom is to give him patience, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You know, and um, and I think many disputes or things that, you know, have happened sometimes in the lives of Christians could really be overcome by simply overlooking an offense at the way that somebody else has wronged you. I mean, don't we live in a society today where like the, the moment that someone treats us wrong, like it's like, boom, you are dead to me. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that, I mean, that that's a big, what do yeah. you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. It's generally it's we, you do the fight or flight thing. Um, and it's like, well, I'm going to sweep this under the rug, but I'm still going to be mad at you, <laughs> you know, or I'm going to fight you and I'm going to smear your name in front of everybody because you hurt me. Or it's like the fool me once, you know, yep. I'm just going to, I'm never trust you ever again. Right. But uh, Sandy even says, he says that in many situations, the best way to resolve conflict is simply to overlook the personal offenses of another. And that is so helpful because I think sometimes we can, we can have a good attitude, but we become like Mr. Fix it. So we go and try and dig up every single little offense that someone has ever offended us in. And we go to them. We're like, Hey, you offended me. And they're like, dude, I had no idea that I even did it. And we cause all these problems where if we were, if we're able to get over it and we're able to overlook it and get past it covered in love, covered in love and grace. Yeah. And it takes humility though. Like yeah. it takes a lot of humility to be like, you know what? I'm going to overlook the offense that has been caused here. But if we're able to do that, Sandy would actually say that it's one of the easier forms of peacemaking because you're able to move past it. If both parties are able and the other party has no idea and you're able to move past it, that's the easiest way of peacemaking. So is that kind of your first step though? Like to evaluate whether or not you can personally overlook this offense. This happens all the time in a marriage. Mm-hmm. All the time in a marriage, right? All three of us are married at this table, right? So, I mean, there are many days that you sin against your spouse or they sin against you and you don't have a big blow up conversation of the way that they wronged you and you wronged them, but you overlook it. You mm-hmm. overlook it in love and, and, uh, uh, maybe I'm just the only one in a marriage like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. no come on. You it's, guys aren't giving me much it's help small here. Thing. It's like unmet expectations. Laura's <laughs> just looking at me like, I don't know what no, you're... Laura's like, I'm thinking, perfect. No, I was actually uh, thinking... Hey, Michael, what are you... No, <laughs> I was thinking this morning I was home because um, it's my day off. And I right before I left, I looked around like our bathroom and our bedroom. And I was like, oh... This is a giant mess. <laughs> and and I look around, I'm like, it's all my mess. Every last bit of it. I'm just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, hon. Yes. <laughs> like, it's me. And he overlooks it all the time. He's the he's sure. the very neat one. And sure. I'm the very but but that's the silly but, example, but it's true. But you're right. He overlooks we, it all the time. But 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 in, in in relationships where we truly love one another, we will cover things in love and we will overlook an offense. And I think that shows us sometimes the shallowness of many people's relationships is that they don't have love for one another. I mean, Jesus called his disciples, you know, to that, to a, to a life of love and, um, and to love one another. And, and so there's this, I guess I, I think about it very simply that, you know, it's always, it's always my responsibility how I will handle 
the way that I have been hurt by others or the way that I have hurt others. And uh, what Paul says is I need to have a conscience void of offense to God and to man. And that's what really matters in all of that. And and at what point do you go like that? He brings this out in the book. At what point do you go to uh, to restore something? It's at the point where you're unable to overlook that offense in love and um, and uh, and really experience, you know, the mm-hmm. forgiveness of God in that way. Yeah. So we've kind of talked through now, like how we can apply some of these things, but like let's really even dive deeper into making it practical and to like talk about just like, what are some practical steps that a Christian can do to function as a peacemaker? And maybe these are biblical principles. Maybe these are just like super duper, like even practical, maybe even like something that like some of the, like a secular thing would like promote as peacemaking principles. Like what are some practical things that our listeners can take away now to really just say, these are some steps. I, I would say this. I thought of this one right away because it makes me think of social media culture, but don't take up someone else's offense. Mm. I think we do that a lot. Like we'll mm. see somebody comment something and post something or someone says it and, and then everyone, you weren't even worried about that one thing, but you pick it up as your own offense and you run with it. That's not peacemaking. That is just, you know, jumping on somebody else's offense that you didn't even have any part in. Sure. That's a good one. Well, to answer my own question, um, I believe that humility is centric when you're peacemaking because you must be humble. You must be able to find where you fit in God's kingdom. But even more than that, you need to be able to either overlook an offense or be humble enough to go to somebody and say that they've offended you and seek to work towards a, um, a, peaceful result. And so humility for me is like one of the most central steps that you can take right now in your personal life, because nobody else can be humble for you and nobody else can really humble yourself except God. He can humble you and that's no fun. Uh, so try humbling yourself first. And, uh, I think if you are willing to humble yourself, peacemaking comes much more naturally to humble people. Yeah. I mean, I think about what you're saying there in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says the the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And, you know, if without humility in our lives, like um, it, it's, it's impossible to resolve a conflict without a heart of humility. And it's impossible to peacemake without both parties uh, demonstrating a heart of humility. I, I think the one practical thing I would say is going back to what Paul said in that passage to, in the book of Philippians about these two people, these two ladies, and focusing on that their names are both written in the book of life. And I, I think I think a really practical thing is to remember that in the midst of the conflict, like I'm to point people to Christ. Like uh, the goal of a peacemaker is to point people who are in conflict back to Jesus. Because I think if we have a right understanding of Jesus, then we're going to, we're going to model that in the way that we're handling uh, our, our conflict. It also reminds us that we're all on the same team. That's right. That's right. If you're dealing with believers, you're on the same team. That's right. That's right. So um, anything else guys today on our conversation on peacemaking? My last thought is literally James 119. (laughs) Uh, Be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And then verse 20 for the anger of man does not work the It does not produce the righteousness of God. So if you're having some issues in your life, maybe try being quicker to hear and slower to speak, and you will find that you'll be slower to anger. 
Yeah, that's good. And I, I know today we reference quite a bit uh, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy, uh, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict. Um, today, we've talked about the book quite extensively, uh, but that's just because this book, I think, at least for Stephen and I, we've read it. Laura's not read it yet, but she will here in the next maybe few weeks, hopefully, <laughs> and uh, realize what a stellar book it is. Uh, but for both of us, I think we've 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 benefited a lot uh, from this book. And uh in addition to what the passages of scripture in terms of Matthew 18 and the book of Philippians is saying, uh, I think Sandy really gives some real practicalities in terms of moving forward uh, in that type of resolution uh, to be a peacemaker. Uh, as Paul says, as much as it is, as much as it depends upon you live peaceably with all men. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, if you have not yet done so, we would really encourage you to head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review Where We Land, and then to share this episode with someone you know. Join us next time as we continue laying out new episodes every other Friday. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.